0: That is not the drug problem.
1: That is, in fact, the drug policy problem. I speak tonight for the dignity of man.
0: The dignity of Americans, the dignity of humanity. Maybe something just happened that shows that we are keeping democracy alive and that people taking action, direct action, can result In the government actually listening to us, to We the People, instead of to Wall Street and the oil companies. We shall see. It looked to all concern that it would not end well. Literal battle lines were drawn. The oil interests and the government on one side, Native Americans and their supporters on the other. What began as a peaceful standoff escalated to the point where there certainly appeared to be Excessive use of force by one side, the oil interests and the government and the police, the militarized police, the protesters who called themselves water protectors faced water cannons, mace, rubber bullets, mass arrest, tasers and more in their months long struggle to protect their drinking water and treaty land. Uh, months ago, I actually had an interview scheduled with Standing Rock Sioux Tribe Chairman Dave Archambault. But on the day of the interview that it was scheduled, he was forced to cancel because of all the action on the ground at the Dakota Access Pipeline site. Of course, I was happy to accommodate him. He had important work to do. On the night of November 20th, Peaceful demonstrators were trapped on a bridge and were assaulted with all kinds of impact munitions. Really, a battle. The tension kept building after that, with more supporters coming in from all around America and other parts of the world. Pressure was building on the Obama administration to keep its promise to protect Native American rights and treaties. Late in November, large numbers of veterans of American wars started pouring in. Who knows, perhaps that made a big difference. All this happening in the context of the clock ticking loudly toward a clearly unfriendly Trump administration. On the evening of Sunday, December 4th, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers announced that it would not be granting the easement to cross the uh, Lake Oahu for the proposed Dakota Access Pipeline. Instead, the Corps will be undertaking an environmental impact statement to look at possible alternative routes. This could take a very long time. Who knows what the future is? A headline read, With air of caution, water protectors celebrate victory over Big Black Snake. (laughs) Speaking for the tribe, Mr. Archambault wrote, the Standing Rock Sioux tribe and all of Indian country will be forever grateful to the Obama administration for this historic decision. He went on, for the first time in Native American history, they heard our voices. This is something that will go down in history as a blessing for all indigenous people. End of quote. Maybe it'll be a blessing for all people who care about the earth and the rights of humanity. How solid is this victory? What are the implications for such factors as national policy on oil and other fossil fuels, and of course environmental policy, and on policy toward Native Americans going forward? Very pleased to have with us on uh, Keeping Democracy Alive, our guest today is Nika Knight. Thanks for being with us.
1: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: Nika Knight is assistant editor and staff writer for Common Dreams, who has been following this dispute from the beginning. When did it begin, anyway?
1: Well, it's hard to say where where it really began. I mean, the pipeline has been in the works um, for quite a while. The resistance to the pipeline from the Standing Rock Sioux, uh-huh. um, the resistance to the, the protest camp um, that we saw, that really began in the spring. Um, and it, it gained a lot of traction when um, Standing Rock Sioux Tribe Chairman Dave Archibald um, sent a letter to all, uh, all Native American tribes asking for, for statements of support, and that sort of snowballed into tribes sending delegations, um, people not from Native America, supporters and allies traveling to put their bodies on the line and mm-hmm. be a part of the protest. Um, but it's been quite a long time coming.
0: Yeah, it has. And, the, and the, the pipeline, if you haven't been following, I can't imagine there are people who listen to Keeping Democracy Alive who haven't been following it. Uh, it's, it was this huge, uh, long project, what, 1,100 miles, something like that, bringing oil from one part of the currently United States to another part. And virtually all of it is done, except for one particular area under a river. Is that correct?
1: Yes, that's right. So it's it's, uh, it's supposed to run from the back end in North Dakota, from the fracked oil fields. Oh, great! There and to take and to take oil to Illinois and um, the yeah, this very last juncture, this last easement um, under Lake Oahe, which is a reservoir um, created from the Missouri River, um, that was just denied. But that was yeah, that was the last of the pipeline that has not yet been completed
0: so they're really uh depending on it what is it energy partner what's it called again the group that owns it
1: energy transfer partners
0: energy transfer partners and i believe one of the investors is a fellow by the name of donald trump so that yes that's right that will be interesting so this uh it, it may be a temporary pause that was announced on december 4th uh in pipeline construction but many people see it as an incredible victory for the water protectors and i'm i'm curious about any history of the us government actually keeping its promises to native americans I, I don't know you know how how far back your history goes but it seems to me i don't think promises have ever been kept to native americans
1: yeah yeah i i read somewhere recently um uh someone someone on the ground there saying you know they made a lot of promises, but the only ones they kept were the times they told us they were taking our land.
0: <laughs> True. Well, hopefully we can we can learn a little bit from history. And, uh, you know, Obama, there's been a lot of pressure on Obama. And yes. uh, clearly the struggle became a cause celeb. The protest in North Dakota, way out in North Dakota, became a powerful magnet for some notable voices, people like Dr. Cornell West, what other famous people, celebrities, perhaps, and organizations came to the site to show their solidarity, Nika?
1: Oh, well, there were a lot. There were um, Dr. Cornell West was there this weekend. Um, as you said, Representative Tulsi Gabbard, the Democrat oh, yeah. from Hawaii.
0: Wonderful woman. Maybe she'll run for president. Go ahead
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. she she joined the the veterans there who who arrived this weekend. Uh, Naomi Klein went this weekend, Uh and there were also, you know, film celebrities. Shailene Woodley, who's a young film star, um, actually, I think, drummed up a lot of support from her very young fans. Um, She was in the Divergent series of films. Uh, She has been really passionately involved in the in the protest and wrote about it for Time. Um, yeah, it, it's been it's been exciting. It's gotten a lot of visibility that these protests don't don't normally get.
0: And, and what about the veterans? I mean, I I remember back, uh, you know, in another uh, interesting movement back in the late nineteen sixties, early seventies, the protests against America's war in Vietnam. Uh, it re- what really seemed to turn the tide was the participation by uh, Vietnam veterans themselves. You remember they uh, you read about anyway that they threw their medals and, and took part in the protest against the war T- tell us about uh, the the veterans involvement here i think that that's very interesting
1: yeah it's um it's really interesting the the, the leader is um west clark junior the son of oh, no kidding. Uh, wesley clark which has been been very interesting um, and he's very um, involved with with veterans for peace very anti-war and, yeah, they're, they're, they originally hoped to get 500 veterans who were interested in, in going to Standing Rock, and wow. they wanted to highlight the, the police brutality facing, facing the indigenous people. Um, they were going to be a peaceful, unarmed um, militia. They called themselves human, human shields. Yeah. Um, but so many veterans were interested. I heard this weekend there's anywhere from 3,500 to 4,000 veterans who came out there. And yeah, I mean, it the 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 idea of of the police, you know, attacking veterans, I think was yeah was something that had to do with this, this moment.
0: Yeah, I I can't help but think so. And I, <clears throat> having studied a bit of history, uh, uh, I read about uh, back in 1931, veterans of the First World War camped out at the Capitol in Washington demanding their bonuses, which had been promised. The government did not look too good when, they, when, when yeah. military men attacked former military men, and it was all yeah. men at the time. They, they, they must have been what educators call a teachable moment. It did not look good. Uh, and probably the most effective protest, as I said, against the war in Vietnam was uh, when veterans protested. You know, this, this specter of such an unseemly clash must have yeah. been a, a, a big factor in the Army Corps decision. But yeah. they can't really say that. I mean, there's all kinds of legalese here. They can't say, oh, we didn't want to look bad beating up veterans. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, even before the Army Corps decision, the um, West Clark Jr. met with um, the Morton, uh, one of the police from the Morton County Sheriff's Department, which has been, um, you know, Really shockingly violent in their in their tactics towards towards the protesters, and on that meeting I think happened on Friday, and they you know made the police agreed to back down from the bridge. I mean it wasn't a great agreement. They said they also accused the indigenous people of having violent instigators in their camp and mm-hmm. refused to say who those instigators were. <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, but just you know the police had been refusing to meet with the indigenous people for quite a few months, so right. even that. That meeting, yeah, I think came about because of the veterans.
0: And refusing to meet with them, I, that's, that's pretty amazing. And then to claim that, that the, uh, I mean, which side has all the weapons? Maybe you can tell us about what some of the, the violence was. We, don't, you know, we who uh, still basically depend on the mainstream media, uh, didn't hear much about that. What can you tell us about, you know, some, some uh, excessive use of force on the part of the militarized police?
1: Well, it was. It was. It was honestly. It was quite shocking. Um, the the police force are, are they drive out there essentially in in tanks, like in actual tanks, and they're wearing covered in body armor, and um, they they've maced the protesters. They've they've tasered them. They've hit them with beanbag rounds with rubber bullets. Um, you know the protesters have. The water protectors have said that the police were actually aiming for um, the face and, and men's groins with the oh. Oh. with the rubber bullets. Um, and you know the, the the indigenous people, their actions were always always peaceful. There were a lot of prayer actions. There were a lot of elders involved. And um, yeah, like you said, on the night of, of November twentieth, the last big. Um, attack from the police force saw them using water cannons on the protesters when it was ambient temperatures were 26 degrees fahrenheit and i, I think i read that like 300 people needed medical attention oh, there were God. two incidences of cardiac arrest ah. from elders Jeez. it was and there was one protester that the, um, who was hit with what she said was and what witnesses say was a concussion grenade and the police denied using concussion grenades although shrapnel was pulled out of her wound. It hit her left arm and stripped away the muscle. Hmm. And she's still in surgery. She's still in the hospital. And um, there was a question of whether she'd have to have her arm amputated.
0: Wow. And she's fairly young, I believe, right? Something like
1: yeah, that. Yeah, I, I, I think she's 21, if I'm, if I'm remembering right.
0: Unbelievable. So it's been more of a uh, warlike situation on American soil than we've seen in A very long time. If you just tuned in to Keeping Democracy Live, Burt Cohen here. Our guest today is Nika Knight, assistant editor and staff writer for Common Dreams, Uh, commondreams.org. She's been following this dispute from the very beginning. Prior to joining Common Dreams, she worked as a freelance writer and German translator. Her writing and reporting has appeared in Grist, Guernica, narratively, and other places. And we're talking about uh, the surprise decision by the Corps of Engineers to put an at least temporary halt in it. And sticking with this theme of the militarization of police, that is a story in itself, it seems to me. Is this something relatively new that should concern all Americans, do you think, especially as we drift with the tide of Trumpism ahead of us?
1: Yes, definitely. I think it's definitely something um, to follow and and be aware of. it's it's frightening and it's been happening for a while. I um it happened it's it's been happening under Obama, it was happening under Bush and you know a lot of these police departments have military grade equipment um
0: right surplus stuff Yeah, Le- over from wars. Yes, it's really terribly frightening and we you know we I grew up in the 50s and the notion of a police state was something that uh, we'd heard about in other countries we fought a war against uh, a police state country uh <laughs> And, uh, wow, it's, it's quite a bit scary here. Tell us a bit about the concept of indigenous consultation and the question of free, prior, and informed consent, which I, I guess uh, you've discovered is a standard in international law when it comes to industrial development on indigenous territory. You say this concept of indigenous consultation came up in this situation. What is it, and why is it important?
1: Well, it's 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 hugely important, and it's something that I think was really interesting in this case in particular, because the U.S. has some of the poorest practices when it comes to indigenous consultation. Um, we don't really have have a standard for it. Um, so, the idea of consultation, of the legal standard of consultation in international law, is is government to government consultation. So, treating the tribe as a sovereign nation. Mm. And what consultation is, is, is even consultation about the process of consultation. So both parties, the U.S. government, the indigenous nation, they decide what that process will look like, and then um, they consult. They say their concerns. Both parties come to the table. Um, and and essentially, you know, what, it, what the process does is it empowers the way it should work. It, it empowers the tribe to say, to say no, you know, no, we don't want this pipeline, no, we don't want this copper mine, um, whatever the project is. And uh, in the U.S., we just, we just don't do that. There's um, the Canadian government, there's laws on the books, there's court precedent. Um, they do engage in a version of consultation. It's certainly inadequate, um, especially in the tar sands in Alberta. Uh-huh. Um, but in the U.S., it's almost like a foreign concept. And what is something that is exciting about this Army Corps decision, and, you know, definitely like momentary victory, everyone's remaining vigilant. Um, There's the specter of the Trump administration coming. But the Army Corps agreed to um, meet with the tribe, to meet with their their counselors, which is what the tribe had, had asked, so that they could discuss as equal parties what the environmental assessment will look like, and um, how decisions will be made going forward, and and so that that in itself is a promising development.
0: Now, this this concept of indigenous consultation, uh, I, I wonder how much you know actual legal weight it may or may not have. It, I, I guess it has some legal weight in in places like Canada, but but what about here? Is it you know? Some... Yeah,
1: it 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 just doesn't have weight here, oh, and it's mm-hmm. um uh. It, it's yeah it's not I think even really on on the radar mm-hmm. um, yeah well, it's really tra- yeah
0: <laughs> there is a long history, a long extremely ugly history, as we all know of, of white settlers and uh, you know broken promises over yeah. and over and over again so this I, I wonder, Amnesty International apparently got involved in this was was it related to the concept of indigenous consultation or wh- what I mean this is unusual for Amnesty International to get involved in a domestic issue here in the uh, United States
1: it was it actually it marked the first time they got involved with um, an infrastructure project within the United States and that that had to do with human rights um, human rights abuses on the part of the police department uh-huh. um, Amnesty International sent observers and the UN actually also sent sent observers, because the reports of the human rights abuses have been um, so extremely alarming. Um, And yeah, the Amnesty International released a statement um, Saturday calling on the Obama administration to um, take action to to protect the the water protectors from the police.
0: Wow. And... You know that they they have some uh, weight. Maybe not, uh, you know, legal weight, but certainly public relations weight. I found it fascinating about how slow the mainstream media was to pick up on this story. When I tried to uh, get Dave Archambault on the show, it was before the mainstream media got to it. I mean, like eventually they're forced into it. What what do you make of, you know, the delay? That it took. It, I mean, this was going on for a long time before the the uh, mainstream media caught up with it. What do you make of that?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I yeah, Sharon, you're like in your shock. I thought it, it was also crazy that they were ignoring it for so long. That was something that part of the reason the veterans headed out this weekend was they knew they could bring more media attention, and they right, did. Right. Um, you know, suddenly the New York Times and NBC were all, were all out there to cover that. Um, I think part of what's so tragic is that Native Americans are so invisible in our public mm, discourse. Mm-hmm. And the mainstream media is not, I think, because, uh, you know, it just helps to further this cycle where their their protests um, are not made visible.
0: You know, I, I find that the media these days, they don't so much cover the news as they do theater, you know, and like, it has to be theatrical and dramatic. I also I get the sense that unlike uh, many decades before of of mainstream media coverage that uh, uh, they don't want to upset their advertisers. You know, that's the main thing. Don't upset your advertisers. It's all about making money. There are many, many people involved here in this, uh, in this struggle, which is going on. Candy Mossett I read about, of the Indigenous Environmental Network said in a statement, taxpayers continue to pay for the police force and the Army National Guard to protect the Dakota Access Pipeline. It would be fine if the law enforcement would operate within the laws and hold this company accountable for their countless violations and attacks on us, but instead they continue to protect a private corporation. What can you tell us about this aspect of the story?
1: yeah well this is um, you know North Dakota is really oil country and a lot of um, the jobs there are are in the oil industry mm-hmm. and you know the governor of North Dakota has, has invested in the pipe in the energy transfer partners
0: <laughs> really <laughs> yeah. he, he's, he's actually personally yeah, invested not just politically he's, personal,
1: he's personally invested and he's personally invested in the back end
0: yeah oh isn't that a no, conflict that's... of interest? Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you would think. You would think. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, yeah, it's 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 really
1: absurd. And so you know, the it's easy to say even without the oil company, um, you know, personally lining the pockets of the police. It's like the whole state of North Dakota is so invested. Ah. Um, its leaders are so invested in the industry that that's those are the interests they defend
0: interesting how in this recent election, I, I think that a lot of people on the left and right uh, really felt like this government is not working for us. They're in the pockets of the special interests. How they elected Trump, well, that's related to uh, people didn't like Hillary Clinton. But anyway, that's another story. Uh, but it just seems to be an example of, I mean, it's so blatant that the government is is... In the pocket of these these private interests. Now, I find it fascinating that some people who support the pipeline probably have investments in it have uh, said that that the protesters are being lawless. Are they uh, trespassing on private property? I mean, how they, they they can't just make that up, can they? Or can they?
1: Well, the the no, the protesters, the um, the SEDI the 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 protest camp is on um, federal land. There have been attempts to sort of set up camps on what is technically private land, but the um, the the tribe maintains that it is actually treaty land, and this has been a huge issue. Is is all of this land, um, a huge where all of the protest camp are and where the pipeline is being developed, is land that that was. Um, you know, promised to the Sioux in this 1851 Treaty of Fort Laramie. Um, and what's happened since then is that slowly government and private interests have just taken the land. Um, you know, the, something that's really interesting is the Army Corps of Engineers only had the power to withhold this permit because the land on either side of the reservoir the Army Corps took that land from the Sioux in the 20s when it created the reservoir, again, without asking the Sioux. It just created this reservoir, took the land around it, and was like, this this is Army Corps land now. Um, so the question of whose land is it is a really loaded and often very complicated question when it comes to these indigenous protests. And, you know, the Sioux maintained this is, this is Sioux territory. Um, and the treaty also says, you know, this is indigenous territory.
0: Huh, so it's in dispute. So I wonder, uh, you know, they, they, they say that they're being lawless. And I remember uh, 1968 when there were a lot of protests uh, against the war in Vietnam going on, the right wing, the Republicans claimed they wanted to restore law and order. And I get a sense that they're, I mean, that that's very reassuring, law and order. Uh, I get a sense that the government uh, is trying to Uh, use that, at least parts of the government are, the state government, to to bring up law and order and somehow twist it and and not, you know, just paint a a picture other than the one that you and I are seeing here. Yeah,
1: it's it's, it's jarring if you go look at right-wing media about this protest because they'll show, I mean, they're really trying to find photos where the water protectors look like they're being violent. And I, I saw one where the water protectors were unloading wood and they tried to claim they were throwing wood. You know, it's ah. it, the this protest has been um really incredible to watch because it's they have maintained non-violence in, through in the face of such extreme violence from the police. And I think it's actually part of the reason they've won a lot of support and, and gained visibility especially on on social media when the mainstream mm-hmm. media wasn't covering it. Um, is that it's so obvious. These are, you know, elders, these are in Native families, and, and they're act often in prayer and, and protesting very peacefully. And then you see these police in riot gear shooting them with water cannons, shooting them with tear gas.
0: Yeah, that's, that's not a good image. And, and they do care about image, for sure. And, and the, uh, the oil companies uh, know that they're in a fight for the future, because uh, there's a lot of resistance to uh, more more drilling and uh, more reliance on fossil fuels, so they they want to look good, they want to look nice, and they've done it uh, certainly on their public relations, advertising, and this uh, gets in the way of that. I, I wonder if it's uh, how much of a coincidence it might be that Monday, December 5th, was the deadline for the protest camp evacuation. Uh, the the governor, North Dakota Governor Jack Dalrymple uh, they, they had ordered the, you know, protesters, the water protectors out of the area. And so that seemed like it was going to be a clash because if they came in to violently remove the protesters, boy, that was going to get mighty ugly. And do do you think that's, it's mere coincidence that they called a halt to it right before that? And, yeah, I wonder how they can justify uh, the timing of that. It, you know, just to yeah. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, it certainly—I mean, it certainly looks on the outside like they were really trying to avoid. Um, yeah, I mean, at the very least, if, even if they weren't concerned with the human rights issue and the First Amendment rights issue—you know, the right to protest—the very least, they uh, it looked like they were concerned about the how how bad it would look. Um, you know, the governor issued an evacuation order for the 5th, and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers also actually issued an evacuation order. And then as soon as they had released those orders, they said, oh, but we, w- we wouldn't forcibly remove them. And those orders also came after the, the veterans had announced that they would arrive on the 4th to protect the water protectors. I, I mean, I think they were really concerned with how this is going to look, to have um, the militarized police facing... You know U.S. military veterans and Indigenous people acting in peace. Um, I think they were very concerned about it.
0: And it's interesting how detractors and the pipeline supporters complained that the decision was political. Mm-hmm. Did, maybe it was what are your what are your thoughts on that and and you know they're they're implying that somehow being political is not good that there's something wrong with being political
1: yeah Did they, i mean, I mean this is coming from a company who kelsey warren the ceo has just he's a, he, i mean he he has you know injected it. he he's claimed that he'll personally pay the police you know with which the police department denied he's you know, jumped in to say, now that Trump's here, like, we're going to move... For-. He's, he's an extremely political person, and it at the very least, it, like, reeks of a lot of hypocrisy for them to call mm. this decision political. Um, but I, it's hard to actually say, you know, how much this was a decision coming from Obama personally or, right. or administration, because um, he hasn't spoken out about it. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is... Um, you know, the head of that agency is not a political appointment.
0: Mm. Um,
1: it's very possible this was, uh, you know, it could have been responding to pressure from the White House, but um, it's possible that it was was the agency's decision.
0: And the it's arm- really hard to say. The Army is an independent uh, uh, agency. Uh, I, and one likes to think, I mean, at least from, from our side, those of us who kind of like democracy, uh, you know, and, and government of, by, and for the people, it's it's nice to think that the protests do make a difference. I believe they did help end the war in Vietnam, and they put a lot of pressure on the nuclear power industry, and they're putting pressure on the fracking industry. Is there, Absolutely. how, did the protests make a difference? I, I, I can't see how anybody could come to the conclusion that they didn't. But but what, what yeah. I mean is, is this quantifiable at all is what's your sense of this as as somebody who's been reporting on this for many months?
1: Well, I think this was a really, really inspiring moment because the odds against it were so high, like you know, like we said, the pipeline was nearly completed um you know trump is was elected as coming in and and um Native American tribes historically have have very little political power, That's for sure. um, and the fact that it succeeds, I think, is a real moment of of hope that that these protests um, that these protests can get somewhere and can be successful. Like even keeping in mind, it's a long bat, you know, it's one small battle won in a very long war. Mm-hmm, um, just the odds of 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 the U.S. Army Corps denying the easement seemed. It seemed so unlikely, even you know, just a week ago. Um, what? And di- I think these. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just—I was going wondering- to say—I go just ahead. think these these Native American-led protests, um, you know, working in tandem with the environmental movement, are they are having some wins right now. It's it seems like this could be a place where where we can find some success.
0: Oh, That's very nice to hear. We, <laughs> it was quite a shocking loss a few weeks ago. That's for sure. It's <laughs> nice to have a little bit of success. If you just tuned into keeping democracy alive, our guest today is Nika Knight, assistant editor and staff writer for Common Dreams, who's been covering the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline battle for quite some time. And uh, boy, it sure does take some interesting twists and turns and is very dramatic. I I wonder... If the protests were indeed effective, and again, as you say, it's not just the indigenous rights, but there's environmental, and you know, it, 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 it ripples out well beyond that, what do you think about, might that signal Americans who are concerned about Trump's obvious authoritarianism in general, that we are not powerless, that we can do something? I mean, clearly... Obama is currently president. We're going to miss him for sure. Uh, But uh, what do you think about the message that this might send? I mean, people for the last number of years, I think, have been— effectively uh, convinced, oh, there's nothing we can do. We can't take to the streets. We didn't end the war in Iraq. You know, there's nothing we can do. We are powerless, which is exactly what the power structure wants us to believe, that there's nothing we can do. We are powerless. And, you know, that's quite a big assault on democracy. What do you think about that? I I guess we're talking about a a big picture here, about uh, the idea of citizens actually having some degree of power.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think, like you're saying, it's um, it's really nice for the people in power when we just give up and say we can't do anything. Um, I mean, we've seen a lot of, you know, a lot of failures, a lot of mass movements that didn't accomplish the change that that we were looking for. But uh, you know, I absolutely believe this this protest was directly responsible for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and I. Um, I think we, just, we know that nothing will change if we don't try. <laughs> so I think we, you know, we owe it to, to ourselves in the future to at least try to, to organize and, and resist. And I think something that, that we can definitely take from this particular movement was um, the commitment to nonviolence and how striking that was. Um,
0: that's a good point.
1: Just even just visually when it was um, reported on when you saw those images of, of riot police attacking peaceful Native Americans.
0: And that's f- frankly what it's about, you know, it's just uh, how it gets reported, like if it's not in some sort of media, it might as well not yeah. have happened, but it did and the media eventually uh, picked up on that, and theater, you know, theater is is so important here, and nonviolence is, is tremendously powerful, and I think you know, given how obviously, amazingly, shockingly thin-skinned this president-elect is. I mean, he he gets freaked out and goes into a a rant after Saturday Night Live makes fun of him. The idea of making fun of and laughing at power, I think, is tremendously, tremendously powerful. And this is something that, I mean, this, this action here, I think, surprised him how many People were involved in it. That's funny. you know, it's 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 emotional. I mean, the image every American knows how, you know, the incredible two hundred years of just astounding injustice to Native Americans there has been, and so that context you know creates kind of a, a unique situation in which uh, yeah. one side can win. Now, the Obama administration's decision to deny permits for the Dakota Access Pipeline puts an early, rather high-profile decision on President-elect Donald Trump's desk. But what what can he do? Obviously, he'd like to just ram it through. But yeah. I wonder, well, he doesn't really care about laws, obviously. He has no clue, nor does he care. But, I mean, this is a decision by the Army. W- what do you think about, yeah. you know, what this is, is going to put on Donald Trump's desk as one of the first, first things?
1: Yeah, well, something a lot of people have pointed out is that the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers was, was smart in that they didn't actually outright um, deny the permit. They said, we can't give you the permit until you have there is a comprehensive environmental review.
0: Right, which so, hadn't been, yeah.
1: Because that launches this bu- this long bureaucratic process that, that can really take years. Um, it's going to be more difficult for Trump than if President Obama had just, you know, executive action denied the pipeline. That's that's something Trump on day one could could reverse. Um, and and like I said, because because the Army Corps is the head of the Army Corps is not a political appointment. Right. He'll have to work really hard, um, and it would probably take a long time to really reverse or weaken the process.
0: So the process is is going. Forward here the process of an environmental review, which, if I understand it correctly, it should have been done. That they skipped a an important uh, aspect of of uh, you know environmental reviews that they they didn't do that. Yeah. So now it's required. So that could take years to come. I mean, he has, has Trump has backed the pipeline. Uh, his uh, transition team reiterated that after the uh, decision by the Army. Uh, I I found it amazingly hard to believe but pff, truth is once again stranger than fiction that trump himself has investments in the energy transfer partners in the company so he, he yeah. personally would profit from the pipeline and it yeah. is it is true yeah. How, Is there any possible way i mean he can be creative i suppose and he's got some nasty fellers working for him uh is there any yeah. way he can simply reverse the decision is that how possible is it?
1: I think th- I think I think he could. I think it would be hard and take and take a bit longer than if it had just been an executive action. And I mean, th- there's a, there's a lot of things that could could still happen. Um, Trump will surely be an enormous obstacle at the very least. Um, and the energy transfer partners could also. There's also a small possibility they could simply drill. Um, and violate the law, you know, despite not having an easement and pay the the, the fines. Um, people are, are saying that's unlikely because that would cost their investors quite a lot of money. And, of course, that's ultimately what this is all about, is the company is trying to mm-hmm. keep its promises to its investors. <laughs>
0: sure.
1: Um, yeah, so, I mean, the odds are still still high. Uh, this, the, the fight is definitely not over. Um well what yeah,
0: it, it's what what do you see as the, as the next actions but actually before we get to that, part of the struggle has been a many many faceted struggle. It, there has been uh, pressure from around the world on banks that are involved. I mean banks are involved in everything you know they got to loan money to uh, who was ever building this this pipeline. Tell us about that please what kind of pressure is being put and who the banks are maybe so that you know if listeners have money in those banks they can put pressure too
1: sure it's it's quite a lot of banks I'm not sure I can name them all from from memory, but it's um Wells Fargo is a very big one. Oh, good old Wells Fargo um,
0: okay you know,
1: yeah. <laughs> Wells Fargo is always somehow always pops up. Um, and that there there have been a, a TD Bank, I think, is actually the biggest. Oh, um, TD Bank in Wells Fargo, are two, is the biggest. Ah. The, a lot of European banks, a lot of um, even Japanese banks, actually, there was a, a global action on December 1st that saw activists in Tokyo, you know, in solidarity with the water protectors, sending a letter to uh, Japan's major banks asking them to divest. And that's definitely a movement that is ongoing and um the protesters the water protectors are saying still keep the pressure on your bank look up your bank see if they're funding Dakota Access and you know if they are close your account and tell them tell them why
0: mm, that's very powerful as bob dilemon said money doesn't talk it swears uh, <laughs> <laughs> so many of the natives the, the people at standing rock i i get the sense that it's not just you know, water, I mean, oil under the water that could really, really pollute the water. And, you know, a lot of accidents have happened. The petroleum in the water, its it can be a very, very bad scene. But there's the whole spiritual aspect, too. Talk about that, please. How, how has this come up, and how? what kind of spiritual aspect has there been amongst these generally spiritual people?
1: Yeah, I think that was um, one of the very moving things about, this this stand that they took was, was it was really rooted in their spiritual practices um, you know people said you couldn't walk around the camp without seeing people in prayer um, you know there was a sacred fire um, it was very much rooted in their spiritual practices and one of the, um, the things that, that people chanted was water is life this belief that, that water is, is the basis of all life which even if you're not a spiritual person, is hard to hard to argue with. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Well, and there's obviously huge environmental concerns, which are very significant in the Army Corps of Engineers, which is all about water. That's what they do. You know, they they just <laughs> like to mess with water, but, and they have their rules. So they're going to be dealing with, with the rules here. And, you know, so there are the environmental concerns about the drinking water becoming unusable. I wonder how much of this struggle at the Dakota Access Pipeline is really, really about the whole history of abuse of America's indigenous people. How much of this is about symbolism, do you think? I mean, would it be standing on its own? We don't know but but how how would you speak about that that symbolism and that massive context of just unbelievable yeah. genocide and abuse of uh, America's indigenous people?
1: Yeah, I think that was a huge a huge part of it, and I think that um many people who supported it who were not Native Americans who came out to support it, who donated or or voiced support in you know just in their local circles um, it, it was it was about a feeling of you know this this is a dark and al- and also ongoing chapter in our in our history um, I think that was that was a huge part of it and it's you know these protests are, are happening all over North America and all, all over the world really um, indigenous people standing on the front lines of industrial development and, and pollution and, and damaging the planet what they were really saying a big part of the message was you know what we do to the earth, we do to ourselves. You know we have to respect the earth and work with the earth and take and really act as caretakers, um, hmm. which is something obviously that uh, in our culture and in our government and our corporations um, absolutely takes the opposite view. <coughs> so that that was a powerful message.
0: And I can just imagine people in the. Uh you know, expensive suit, corporate boardrooms uh, saying, oh, these people are so naive. It's about money, big money. It's about pumping the oil out, you know, to talk about these, you know, earth values and uh, Mother Earth and things like that. Oh, it's just so naive. But, Mm -hmm. and yet, it's interesting how it resonates so much with people across America. Uh, It must be terribly frustrating to them to, to think that, you know, they're, uh, profits uber alles you know mm. is being affected by what they probably consider consider silly uh demands and concerns and let's you know let's yeah. face it historically respect for the indigenous people has been nil i mean i i have yeah. black friends who who say well at least you know we get treated pretty badly but at least we're not indigenous people cuz they get i mean they're just it's it's amazing how historically incredibly badly they've been treated so maybe this is sort of like a line in the sand like okay enough you've done all this stuff horrible stuff so far we are not taken anymore and i think that's probably a a strong call to to unite people
1: yeah well i think part of the reason it's so powerful and also i think you're right i think it baffles the corporate circles and 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 many politicians is that it's not about money it's about the earth and so it's really um Interesting and, and you know, this is part of the reason that these forces so just bulldoze um, these native people is, is they're they're not they're not interested in money. They're not interested in in they're interested in protecting their land and their water and these resources, um, and that, you know, threatens the bottom line of a lot of these
0: companies. It certainly does. Well, they shouldn't make such dumb investments. I, a lot of investors know, and there's, to me, greed is the problem. Capitalism per se isn't necessarily bad. I know I disagree with some friends on the left on that, but you know, investing with values, uh, uh, you know, yeah. conscious, conscientious uh, capitalism can be done with a conscience. Now environmentalists have rallied, of course, around calls to keep it in the ground for years, which argues that fossil fuels, both oil, you know, shale oil, the uh, stuff up in uh, Alberta, uh, and even, you know, natural gas, should not be dug up uh, with the construction of pipelines. Do you think, in general, I mean, aside from the whole indigenous rights thing and respect for indigenous people, how significant do you think this particular, at least temporary, victory might be in the fight against fossil fuels?
1: Well, I think it's I think it's really significant because um, it it's an it's another. There have been a few other instances of this, like like you're saying in the tar sands battle and the fight against. Um, Keystone and, and against many other All fossil right. fuel projects is this this collaboration between indigenous groups and the environmental movement you know there's this agreement that we need to keep it in, in the ground and I think there's a hope that this this um, this kind, this protest could be a model for others going forward
0: uh, interesting when, when different groups get together the indigenous the environmental the veterans, it reminds me about uh, Black Lives Matter linking up with Palestinian rights. It, uh, working together uh, makes it a heck of a lot more powerful. It's uh, an interesting yeah. phenomenon that's going on. I don't think anybody necessarily uh, planned it that way. Um, yeah. And you know, now that this is there's a temporary halt as of uh, December fourth, no doubt the local authorities. And the company would very much like to see everyone leave, like right away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? What? And it's getting cold there, and that you know, North Dakota. I mean, just the name North Dakota. I know some people there would like to change the name because it doesn't sound too attractive. It's cold. What do you expect yeah. to happen now? Will people just pack up and leave, or what kind? Of, I mean, it's, it's hard to remain vigilant, especially after this, you know, somewhat of a victory. What do you What do you expect to happen at the site now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that is, that is actually up in the air, and I think a lot of people there are, are, are wondering that as well. I know that um, Dave Archambault yesterday um, recorded a video asking people to go home, um, especially people who, who are not from the Standing Rock Sioux. Um, people have gone out to, to stay at the camp in solidarity. Um, and part of that is because of, of the cold, and the conditions, and he believes that that at least for the next few months, that nothing will happen. Um, he feels it's 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 an unsafe environment, um, is what he said. But there are also a lot of a lot of people who are saying, no, we're not going to stay. We're not going to leave. We're um, we're going to keep our stand. We're going to stay here until the pipeline is is gone and defeated. Um, and so there's actually there's disagreement on the ground, and I think. I think many people there are wondering what the next step is. So that's just something to, to
0: watch. And of course, you know, money is a big factor. A lot of people, you know, can't just drop everything and, and go out there. I mean, I have a, a friend who is out there from uh, New Hampshire, and uh, he is retired. He's a lawyer. He's offered his help there. But, you know, average people in the streets probably, you know, are thinking, uh, hey, we need we need oil here. but. The fact is we're using a heck of a lot less oil now, and economically, I mean, I wonder if energy transfer partners would even try to take this up now, given the uh, drop in demand for fossil yeah. fuels. I mean, there's that whole aspect of it as well. Absolutely. Um,
1: yeah, it certainly doesn't look like a good investment from that angle either.
0: No, my heart bleeds <laughs> Uh you know it, I I think it's it's fascinating how the uh petroleum industry is not real pleased with what's going on there. Uh industry backers said that approving the Dakota Access should be a top priority for President Trump, I still can't believe I get to say those words, uh, American <coughs> Petroleum Institute President Jack Gerard, or Gerard, I should say, said, I am hopeful President-elect Trump will reject the Obama administration's shameful actions to deny this vital energy project to restore the rule of law in the regulatory process and make this project's approval a top priority as he takes office in January. So we've talked a little bit about this, but what what are Trump's auctions? Obviously, he's, he wants to serve the oil industry. What what can he do, do you think? What do, you, do we expect to happen uh, after January 20th, assume, assuming he actually does get inaugurated, which maybe something will happen. But anyway, what are Trump's yeah. auctions here? How much can he serve uh, people like uh, Jack Gerard of the Petroleum industry Institute?
1: Yeah, I really scary. I mean, looking at his cabinet, you know, it's filled with, with pro-oil, pro-industry climate deniers. Um, it looks really grim. <laughs> and unfortunately, you know, a lot of Obama's climate actions or climate uh, protections were, were executive
0: actions, uh, right.
1: which Trump can undo.
0: Yes, he can. mm yeah, if anything is an executive action as opposed to some other mechanism, he can undo an executive action. But this is—is is this an executive action? I'm getting the sense that no, it's not really.
1: No, it wasn't. This so this came this came just from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and and Obama, you know, hasn't hasn't said anything about it. So right. um, it wasn't an executive action. It was it was from the agency and. You know, like I was saying, it's not a political appointment, the head of that agency, unlike, you know, the head of the EPA is, is a political appointment. Right, right. So the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers... Um, it's part of the army. It, yeah, exactly. And so um, Trump can't directly influence this decision hmm. probably as much as he as he would like to be able to. He can certainly make it, from what I've read, it sounds like he can make it go more slowly or maybe weaken the the... the um, the scope of the environmental review um, ah. but it 's not something he can instantly undo on day one which which is another um, was it felt like another victory
0: It is certainly a reasonable victory, but it ain 't over yet. People are going to be staying on the site. What can people do? They could obviously go there, there must be places they can send money what What can people who want to keep this thing shut down permanently? There must be things people can do that I hope you know about that you can tell people about.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think something that, that the, the water protectors have been saying is, is really just continue to keep the pressure on, keep visibility on it. Um, something simple that everyone can do is, um, you know, Google to see if their banks are investing in the pipeline and close their account if they are and tell the bank why you're closing your account. There have been a lot of solidarity actions in cities around the country. Yes. A lot of people, you know, protesting in front of these banks that have invested in the pipeline, and that's still a very powerful way to keep the pressure on. Um,
0: and what about and just, what about sending money? I mean, they got to get, you know, blankets and food and things like that. Do you have any places that... Yeah, uh,
1: definitely. Um, standwithstandingrock.org is the, is the website for the protest and... Um, Standing Rock Medic and Healers Council. They're the they've been dealing with the you know, the after effects, helping people um, with the violence from police and uh-huh. they're the doctors on site. That's another good place to donate.
0: So Stand with Standing Rock and what was the other one you just mentioned?
1: The Standing Rock Medic and Healers Council. And if you just Google that name you can find their website.
0: Well, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for, for covering this. This must be uh, quite an assignment that you've had for a while. <laughs> very, very exciting. Yeah, well, yeah. It's,
1: thank you. I think it's nothing next to what the activists are doing. So
0: That's true, but we can all do our part to keep democracy alive. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, Nika Knight of uh, CommonDreams.org, and uh, the fight will continue. It's uh, very exciting, and it ain't over yet. Thanks again. Thank you. Circles we gather moonlight fires are kindled, sending it back. We just make it go back. Beating hearts, beating hearts come as one, come as one. This is in the This is any country Together we dance All of First Nation There's no chance We ever gonna give up Beating hearts, beating hearts Come as one